There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. Go Sox. It's the Boiler Rojas Podcast, episode 57. I believe that was a... Uh... It was kind of like a Sandlot reference. It was a Sandlot reference. I'm Nick Rojas. He's Nick Boyle. And we're joined today by a special guest from the left coast, some say the best coast, Sean Yu. Sean Yu, how you doing today? Nick and Nick, uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, we talked briefly earlier. I just survived a, a 5.0 magnitude earthquake wow. uh, at work earlier today. So I'm just happy to be alive and happy to be on my couch and talk movies with you guys. It's, it's, a, it's a truly an honor to be here. I just love the fact that an earthquake tried to prevent the Boylan Rojas podcast from happening tonight. Not going to happen. Nope. Not I, I think it. The earthquake knew. The earthquake knew I was coming on and it was going to break culture. And so they were like, it's trying to stop us anyway, any way possible. Not a fan. Well, Sean, before we uh, go any further, you want to give a little bit of background of uh, who you are, how we met and all that stuff? Yeah, so uh, I went to Ithaca College where uh, you went as well, Nick uh, Rojas, and we were both TVR majors. I am currently now on the West Coast after moving out here to work for TheRinger.com, which is a great website. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm, uh, that was I like the movies, best I like TVs, ever. and I, I like, like everything. Yeah, you do, and that definitely comes across on your uh, Twitter account, Shanye West, one of my favorite Twitter handles of all time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you are a pop culture connoisseur, if you will, so, you know, we were very excited to have you on. I went on your podcast, Universal Sound, two years ago to talk about uh, Drake's latest album at the time, Views. So um, I was happy to, that you reached out because uh, you're someone whose takes I, I very much value, um, you know, especially since we have a similar background and that we both like production, TV, videos, that kind of stuff. So um, happy to have you on. And we're going to, you know, talk about the movie Ready Player One, which, um, you know, we talked about it on our podcast last week, but just want to get what were your quick thoughts about that movie? So uh, I read the book and I really, really enjoyed the book. I enjoyed the story a bunch. I thought uh, Ernest Klein's writing at times got uh, a little too childish because he kept explaining the 80s references, uh, foot, like way too in depth. Um, and the movie I thought was uh, a perfect, not perfect, but a really good adaptation of a really good book um, in terms of just the story. It was, uh, it was very fun start to finish. Uh, granted, in my opinion, I thought the third act at times got a little weird and a little slow, but um, the movie itself was it was a it, it, super entertaining, a big thrill ride. And I mean, I haven't seen visuals like that uh, in a long time. And I, I know we might talk Isle of Dogs later, which I thought was the best visual movie I've seen in the last ten years. But in terms of Ready Player One, it was such like VR video game visuals that I don't think video games have even done yet. And Granted, it's Spielberg. Some some people have said in the office at the Ringer that it's one of Spielberg's best movies. And wow, uh, wow. yeah, it's strong takes. But I, I really big, big take. I really enjoyed it. I, I I don't have many complaints other than like a, a few issues in the third act. But that was a really fun movie. I thought it's a classic popcorn watching eating movie. You know. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how we kind of broke it down on the podcast. Uh, Boyle was a big fan of it. Um, you know, Boyle might be battling some technical difficulties with this episode for the uh, listeners at home. But yeah, I, I felt the same way. Very much a popcorn movie, which we love 
uh, Spielberg when he's you know cooking on all cylinders. That's the kind of movies he makes. And uh, you know, I I agree. Like you said though, like the things I've never seen before. Honestly, I can say when seeing this video, and uh, like better graphics than video games because you know video games commercials they always look more amazing than they are totally, when they actually totally. play them. Um, you know, and yeah, this one just I felt like I was in a video game unlike ever before. Yeah, but that depends because um, at the same point, I would sit there and say it wasn't a popcorn movie. I put my popcorn down. I got way too into it. <laughs> right, right. No, totally. It's like there's scenes where you know you can't stop looking, and you're also like your mouth is agape, and it's you're not really breathing. Like yeah, in that in the, right. in the racetrack scene, I was like, oh my god, like oh. how is this happening so early, and how is it so in the movie? Yeah, exhilarating. Now let me yeah. ask you, Sean. You're I know Sean right. that you um, were mentioning that you read the book, what, yeah, and you kind of went into a little bit of detail of this, but. What was your take on, I know that I was told from somebody who read the book that it was not even close to similar to the book with the tasks that they had to do and stuff like that to get the keys. What's your take on that? Do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah. um, So when production of that movie started, uh, a lot of the news that was coming out was saying uh, that Steven Spielberg and Ernest Cline, who wrote the book and obviously co-wrote the screenplay, uh, they were going to take some liberties to change up the story and when i first heard that i was like oh this movie's a this movie's a bust and then i saw the first trailer i was like this movie's a bust i'm not watching this um but honestly like the the changes they made were i thought really good up until the third act you know so the the race the whole race thing to start is not how the book started the book started was you know an open world invitation and you know everything everything got it was like a ready set go and every character in the oasis had their own freedom to look for the keys but it took months i think even years for wade watts uh who plays parcival who's parcival in the movie to find the first one and he found it just out of the blue just walking along and you know discovering it for himself so that part i kind of missed out on but when I was watching the movie, I was like, well, I mean, this works perfectly because this race scene was like, like we were saying, the most exhilarating thing ever. And uh, I thought the, the liberties they took early on were were perfect for visual storytelling. But and, you have a good point you know, there with the fact that, that like I said, you have a good point there in the sense that I would agree with you in that sense that they went so fast with the first, with the, you know, introduction of the Oasis right into like, I felt like you kind of got a gasp of air. Then they went right into the race car scene, but then I can kind of see it was almost like a little weird gap with like the shining part and stuff, and it was kind of like, all right, it it, it almost did slow down a little bit. I could see what you were saying there. Yeah, no, total. I mean, yeah, like it's it really, really went into it quickly. Where the book obviously takes a long time to build expose and explain the oasis and. A couple things that the book does bad that the movie did well is Ernest Klein, like I was saying earlier, like really over explains 80 references and does it mm. constantly where you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. This is from this and it's about that. Like I get it. But in the movie, like they barely explain any of it because it's all visual. Like you see King Kong, you see the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, you see, um, you know, the DeLorean from Back to the Future. These are all just things that if you're a fan of 80s stuff, you can just make sense on your own. And if you you don't, it doesn't really affect the movie. It's not like it makes the experience any less fun. And I think that's what Spielberg brought that made it 
in my opinion, a little bit more fun of an experience than the book. Yeah, I'm, you know, Sean, we're so thankful that you're on the show, specifically for reasons like this. When we were in the po- on the podcast saying, now we don't know what Spielberg did different than the book. So we're glad you have this perspective on this story because, um, you know, there were definitely, like like you said, like I definitely had some issues with how they kind of wrapped the movie up. But again, I was like, well, hey, I have nothing to base it on. Right. I don't know if they were just being faithful to the book versus not faithful to the book. My big thing was, one of the big issues I had was I never quite felt like I emotionally connected to a lot of the characters when watching the movie. Like I know they kind of set it up towards the end where, um, you know, gosh, Holiday and his partner yep. there um, played by Simon Pegg. You're almost supposed to feel this kind of like emotion at the end, like, hey, like, I miss him a bunch. I miss my guy. He's my old partner. Like, we had years together. We worked. I felt like they never quite built up that relationship, even though they did show many scenes of them and their relationship. And yet, in a way, I still felt like it was a I love that you brought that up because those are my two character qualms from from the book to film, you know, change and the main thing is simon pegg's character this guy ogden morrow who helped create the oasis and um you know was a foil in uh halliday's relationship with the 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 female who's morrow's wife and they go really into that in the book and simon pegg's character ogden morrow has a really significant role in the book in mentoring and helping wade and um artemis throughout their journey and it's uh that that emotional tone is definitely missing because when he you know when he pops out at the end of the movie and he's looking all sad you're like, well I don't feel sad like I just I just I, met I, you I, maybe yeah, like I, ten minutes ago and I didn't see you for an, like an hour, you know and then and, yeah and, and then now you're back yeah. and I'm supposed to feel this emotional weight and it didn't really hit like it did in the book. Um, the other thing is Artemis's character. Um, a big thing is she doesn't want to reveal her identity and that's, you know, that's in the film. And she says, you don't, you, you might not like how I look and the scar that she had in the movie. I was like, what is this? Like, it's a normal ass scar. I was like, I, I kind of like that beauty mark. Like it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It looks like kind of like badass makeup, kind of like David right. Bowie. And in the, in the book, it's just constantly talked about how like she has this insane scar. It makes her look not great, et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, you know, they, I guess you can't really do it that significantly in the film because, you know, maybe I guess the public will be like, oh, why are they making her so ugly? Whatever. It's a very superficial world. But that was a little bit of a like, that yeah, why couldn't back, you fully yeah. go in on that? They could have gotten Two-Faced from, uh, yeah, you it, know, the Batman movie. <laughs> Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah, that would have been crazy. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, she no, was great though. Olivia, she Olivia Cook is great, and she's about to blow up. I think she's phenomenal. She, uh, Mural and the Dying Girl is one of my favorite movies, and she's incredible in that. See, that's a, that I think that came out before I got Movie Pass. So even though I was still going to movies, like I wasn't going as much as I was now, and that one definitely slipped through the cracks. I got to see that movie. But yeah, you guys should cool do a late a late uh, pot on that. It's a great movie. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah, that's one of the movies I've been wanting to see because so many people who are associated with that movie have gone on to do great work, I feel like. And for sure. I haven't I haven't caught that one. Uh but to to borrow a quote from your boss there, so you're buying stock in Olivia Cook? Uh I think big time. I was buying stock on her at the end of Mirror and the Dying Girl, and then I found out she got this role about a year or two later, and I was like, Yeah, I think this girl's about to blow up. I think she's only like twenty three and still young and like very much hasn't even hit her prime as a female actress. And so 
um, you know, she's in a Spielberg film. So I, yeah. I think she's doing well. She's going to do all right. Now, uh, one more thing before we get to the question here. Um, is it me or now that it's been a few days, like did Ty Sheridan feel like a main character to you at all or a lead in a movie? Man, uh, I had a discussion with someone at work the other day and they were like, oh, I love Ty Sheridan. Like such a big fan of Ty Sheridan. I was like, what? I was like, are you, the guy was just like just vanilla, like super boring. He was there. He was just there. Yeah. He was there to push the story and wasn't really like, I never felt any emotional connection with him. And I was like, you're, you're trying to tell me this guy's supposed to be a nerd and like a geek. Like he looked like a jock, you know, he just innately yeah. looks like a jock. And I'm like this, that didn't work for me, but Everyone else I thought was very good. I thought Ben Mendelsohn was great. Lena Waithe was fantastic. But yeah, that's a good point to bring up. He wasn't he wasn't that great. I don't know why they picked him for that role also. Yeah, he was not he yeah, was not get- over the top whatsoever. But what was funny is, you know, they did the whole scene with uh Artemis like explaining about him like, oh, you have to you know, like Clark Kent, you need to have a disguise and put yep. fake yep. glasses yep. on him. Okay, but then in the real world, he wears glasses. And then never wears them <laughs> ever again in the movie after the first scene. It just was, so, oh, it definitely was like way too far in your face. And I agree. I don't think that at the same point, I don't think he was overpowering. But then again, is that a good thing? Like, was he supposed to be? Or was he just supposed to show that like, yeah, he's one man in a journey to try to win. But he also ended up winning with his team. So was it really just about him or was it about something bigger than just one guy? I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's, that's why fair, they focus fair on argument. Him. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, he never he didn't take anything away from the movie. Yep. You know, I just wanted to see kind of how the movie ended more so than I was like, come on, come on, Wade. Like, let's do this, man, you and me. So, yeah, like it would have – it definitely would have made the movie a little bit better maybe in my opinion. But it didn't – he didn't make it worse by any means either. He, I, like Like Sean said, he was just there. And I think, like, I mean, you know, looking back at it, I think I gave it a 10, and you know, 10 out of 10 on the Fisher scale that we, we do here on the show. Because um, I was I was looking forward to it, and it, you know, like we had mentioned on the podcast next, is just it exceeded my expectations at the time. I was so into it. I was so, like, amped up on the adrenaline from being at, like, an IMAX. But, you know, I've been sitting on it for now a week or so, and I've been thinking, like, Okay, but even watching this at home, will it give me that same effect? I think I loved the movie, but would it be a 10 out of 10? I don't know. I might, you know, honestly knock my own score back down to like a 9 out of 10 because I still love it. But I just think I was so wrapped up in IMAX, in your face, felt like you were there. And then really like, almost like you said, Sean, like took a gasp of air for like a week later and was like, okay, but was it really like an Oscar 10 out of 10 movie sort of a thing, or was it just because I super enjoyed it? No, I mean, totally, because that's a movie, if you don't watch in theaters, you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, it's the classic, like, big blockbuster, big screen movie, need the sound and everything. And I'm with you. When I first got out of it, I was like, holy shit, that was super fun, uh, a thrill ride. And then the more I keep talking to people about it, the more I'm, like, breaking it down, I'm like... You know, I I go back to the third act. Like, you're really going to end it with them saying, like, all right, like, we own the Oasis. I'm going to share it with my crew and 
I'm gonna make out my girlfriend, and the narrator is gonna say, "Hey, also uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, there's no Oasis, yeah. so <laughs> go out and uh, hang out in your million dollar loft and make out with your girlfriend." Hey, right. people who are addicted. On, hey, people who are addicted to the Oasis because it's a better life. I know that this didn't improve your life whatsoever. It really, just improved my life. But uh, yeah, you're gonna have to be without it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Figure right. it out. Good luck. Yeah, I, you know what, Sean? I didn't even realize that until you just pointed it out. But that's also like, uh, yep, all right. That's like, kind of are like you just try, were you just trying to end the movie because you're on a time limit or something? Like I, I wanted it's, more. Like I, I wanted like to know more about are, the future of the Oasis. Exactly. It's like when you're writing the SATs and you have four lines to go on the given sheets <laughs> that you're given. You're like, oh man, I gotta land this bird, and we're still like, halfway. all right. Uh, and yeah, the War of eighteen twelve ended after that, and it was crazy. America's still here, anyway. Yeah. Is there any way I can double space after the period to make a little extra space? That's how I hey, felt. You gotta I, fit everything in there. That's really Ugh. like how I felt. Like it was like very, the ending was one hundred percent very rushed. And I think I agree with you, like Nick, in the sense of that connection with Simon Pegg's character at the end. Like, all right, what's going on? Like, did, yep. like think about it. If they didn't even, I thought he died. Honestly, I didn't even know he was alive. Like, if they didn't even bring him at the end, if some random person opened that door, like, um. You know, Roas, who's Simon Pegg's, like, teammate in all of these, like, movies, he always, the British movies he always Nick, does? Nick Frost. Yeah. If he, like, opened the door and was like, congratulations, I would have been like, hey, that's funny, cool. But, like, Simon Pegg opening it, I was like, are we supposed to understand something here? Like, okay, I see the connection, but, like, why? You should have gone into this more. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, I agree. Just It just, it just <laughs> ended, you know? it Like, it just ended with no... I guess thought it was like oh, okay this was cool this action was great now let's end it and just give it a wrap so sean on our fisher scale um, we do it out of uh, a rating out of 10 popcorn kernels what would you give now yeah now and sean just give you a little background it's called the fisher scale because it's named after uh, former ithaca college bomber football great dan fisher wow who, uh, came on our podcast year one and said that we should rate it uh on a scale of one to ten popcorn kernels what the movie is, so we named the scale after him. Wow, uh, Fisher scale. Uh, Boyle, you said you gave it a ten, and you're reconsidering it to maybe a nine. Uh, Rojas, what did you give it? I gave it a strong uh, eight out of ten. Yeah, I, I think I'm leaning around eight to nine. I think if I was really picky about the third act, I'll give it like a seven point five. But I enjoyed it a lot, so I'm like eight nine around there. I. It's just a fun movie, you know. You can't exactly. really judge action movies. You can't. And we're nitpicking it because that's what we do. Yeah, but you're yeah. right. Like at the end of the day, it's a, a fun movie, and that's what we want for movies. Yeah, just have fun, enjoy it, bring a date, good be a good time, you know. I agree. Uh, one, so we have a before we have a question that we asked our Twitter users last week, and we got some uh, feedback from. Uh, w w before we get into that, though, which format did you watch the movie in? Uh, I watched it uh, just in a normal Sony 4K theater. I, I was hoping to see it in IMAX. I can't do 3D because I wear glasses when I go to the movies, so I can't wear right. like double glasses like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I feel you. IMAX 3D was pretty – I hate IMAX 3D, especially when it's not filmed in 3D nor IMAX, but it was it was pretty darn good, I, I have to admit. But uh, those Sony 4K, what was that, an Arclight out there? Or? It was a Pacific Glendale – um, because it's the one that takes movie pass. That's like a big theater close to me. Um, right. which again, I, not to gas you up, but 
you were on MoviePass before anyone knew what MoviePass is, and I hope you hold that over people's heads for the rest of your life. Well, it's you know that gif of Michael Scott when he bangs a table and says thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's me when uh, everyone was hopping on back in the fall. I was like, oh, what do you think I've been trying to tell you guys right, this whole time? Right. But uh, no, but I'm well. I'm just happy that people. Honestly, I you know I'm just happy that people are seeing movies. You know, I don't I don't need the credit. <laughs> well, I'm giving it. Um, thank you. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. So uh, our question was, and Boyle asked this from the uh, at the BNR podcast Twitter account. And we're gonna keep this uh, moving here. If you could be represented by a uh, video game character in the Oasis, which one would you want to be, and why? Uh, we had Chris Morgan say uh, either Pikachu, Kalik. Or click Killick from Soul Calibur, or Nathan Drake from Uncharted. My dad said uh, the T one eighty from Terminator. Oh wow! Uh, which is a, uh, I mean that's a hard no move, but you know good for him. Um, Signature Creations, which is uh, Becca's mom. Uh, she wanted to be Princess Peach, <laughs> and uh, Dan Letter, who was my cousin, said Soda Popinski from uh, Mike Tyson's Punch wow. Out. Uh, so uh, quite the roster. Sean, as our guest, who would you want to be and why? Um, on a uh, – the Ringer does an exit survey, which is after you watch a movie, you fill out a few questions. And one of the questions was that what like pop culture character would you want to be? And for that, I, I selected a, a character from Dragon Ball Z, this character Trunks, who has purple hair, a long sword, and like just just looks cool. And I, and I selected that. But – in terms of video game characters, I'm a huge video game nerd, um, and so there's like a ton of options I can be. But weirdly, I, I, I would like to be Kirby from the Nintendo video game series because it, yeah, he's an adorable character, but he can like take people's powers and he can fly and he, he just could do a lot of things. And I think that doesn't limit me to just one action, like. If I was Pikachu, it's like, all right, I got lightning and that's my power, lightning and being super cute. But Kirby, if I wanted to, I can probably inhale uh, Master Chief from Halo and become him or take his powers. You know, it gives me an endless limit of characters and opportunities that I can become. When the Halo people showed up, uh, well, I mean, it's like that's a brief great. cameo. That was, that was pretty sweet. Um, no, but Kirby, do you ever play uh... – I mean, we're about to nerd out a little bit here, but I had a Kirby World for oh, yeah. Game Boy. Oh it yeah, was like a, it was like that, like that brick break breaker game. Yep, yep. Oh my god, I used to lose hours of my life playing that game. Hours I'll never get back. Quite frankly, it's probably why I have such terrible social interpersonal skills. But uh, time well spent. No, totally agree. Uh, I think Kirby is an iconic character, and I could have picked other famous Nintendo characters, but I felt Kirby was a an indier choice. I like yes, and we do appreciate that on the Boy and Ross <laughs> podcast. We try not to be as mainstream as possible. Um, I picked Spyro. That was wow, uh, nice. Yeah, no, I liked him. I like that he had the little dragon, uh, dragonfly behind him. Um, I think it would be cool to be able to glide and uh, run around on all fours and charge into things and kind of basically concuss myself over and over with no repercussions. If you think about it, how much CTE Spyro probably had. Uh, based off that video game now in hindsight, it's almost kind of uh, irresponsible what they were doing. You know, you, the rules are different back then. It was a more physical game and you know you can't really blame – you can't blame the creators. All right. So we <laughs> muted Boyle. We're going to unmute Boyle. Uh, Boyle, you're unmuted. No, I don't want to talk it. anymore. I'm over it. No. Um, <laughs> I, really, um, I really think that I would love to be Tomb Raider. 
No, that's a joke because I hated that movie. Um, I also would want to be Spyro, but at the same point, um, you know, the next question was who would you actually be, and I think Crash Bandicoot because wow. I'm just an absolute idiot, but I'm also I can get the job done. Uh, big Crash Bandicoot fan. Dude, CTR, the racing game, was my shit. <laughs> I only ever got to play a preview game of Crash Bandicoot. I never actually got to play a Crash Bandicoot game. What? Yeah. Dude, I own it on PS2. We could play. Oh, I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to the next movie, Isle of Dogs, which we saw at the Avon Cinema, Boyle, Becca, and I, this past week. Um, the newest Wes Anderson movie. Um, Sean, what'd you think of the movie? When'd you see it? Uh, where'd you see it? And, uh, yeah, like I said, what'd you think of the movie? Uh, so we have two old school theaters right around uh, my apartment, both in walking distance. And so I saw it at the Vista vintage theater, um, which just has one movie theater and they show one movie for a few weeks at a time. They actually had black Panther there for like five weeks because of its, uh, strength, um, it's printing money. But so I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, uh, like most dudes who want to be artsy and sensitive. Um, but I want to go out on a limb and say this might have been one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies ever because uh, it was just the most beautiful movie I have ever seen. Uh, there were times just like Ready Player One where my jaw was to the ground. And I was like, I cannot believe this is, in theory, it's claymation. And it's so lifelike, yet the characters were very cartoony in some way. But, uh, man, just a beautiful movie. And the story was fun. I thought it was a little weird that it had uh, four acts. I, I like a movie that either has three or five. I think that's a nice like closing number. But the four-act thing was kind of weird. The story at times was a little... Uh, you know, there's a lot of a few plot holes here and there, but the movie was so beautiful. It was a very self-aware Wes Anderson type movie, and um, I know a lot of the discussion that people have been talking about in pop culture and movie critics in general were a lot of uh, Asian misappropriation, the, the the Japanese culture, and the way that they were dealing with it. But I didn't get that sense at all because it was a movie about dogs, and it's a movie in Hollywood, and Hollywood's you know filled with white actors and that's why you know those guys voiced the dogs and those are guys that Wes Anderson continually works with so I didn't understand those complaints um I was really all in on the movie uh like I said it's one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies of all time uh well yeah that I'm glad you liked it as much as I know Boyle and I definitely did um but yeah like you know just to talk about that address that right away that was a lot of the lead up to this movie was uh, about that discussion about uh, Japanese cultural appropriation. And, you know, as someone who's I'm not Japanese at all, um, you know, I didn't want to speak about because I'm like, I, you know, I don't know if it is or not. But from my perspective, they were just showing Japanese people in Japan and they were talking dogs. And I didn't feel like it was really being insensitive, but I guess appropriation is more about biting on culture and taking it and, I don't know, making it your own kind of 
you know what I mean? Like it's it's a tricky subject to talk about. So I just wanted to kind of just talk about the movie itself. Sean, I don't know if you had anything to add to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was just bringing that up just to dismiss it because I was like, I don't know why people are making such a big deal about it. It's just a movie and it happens to be an artistic vision of the setting of Japan. And I don't think they really, you know, really dissed the culture in any way. And granted, some people can have their own opinions on it. But the movie itself, I... I, I I freaking loved it, man. I was in it the whole way. The, the the beauty of the movie sucked me in and the characters were super charming throughout, you know, each individual dog was has its own personality. You know, you have Cranston and his unique voice and a lot of just solid voice actors. You know, Courtney B. Vance was the narrator and I thought he's got such a soothing, um, powerful voice and um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all in. I can't say really any bad things about it other than, you know, maybe... You know, it ended a little weird and there was a, you know, a few issues here and there, but not enough to make me dislike the movie in any way. I was I was all in and just classic Wes Anderson, very self-aware and very funny at the same time. And one of the one of the most self-aware things that I forgot about and one of my coworkers reminded me was that in the uh, intro scene where the sumo wrestlers are drumming, um, which is a visually just spectacular scene. Um, if you look carefully, there's like they're in a gym so you see like a basketball hoop by them. And so you're like, <laughs> you think they're in like a big artistic that. sumo venue, but they're just in a gym and they just happen to be drumming. And when I, when I saw that, a screen grab of it, I, I laughed out loud and I was like, okay, this is a, another case of Wes Anderson being kind of self-aware and, you know, being a little fourth wall-ish about all his movies. Here's, uh, here's Boyle checking in. Boyle. Yep. Go for it. No, I, it's funny because I actually didn't notice that, which uh, made me chuckle right away. And I was like, that's such an interesting, like, like I wanted to understand the significance behind that. And I yep. still don't understand it at all. Um, but I loved it. I thought it was funny. Uh, and I mean, do you guys understand why that really was there? Because I don't. Truly I, no I, idea. Yeah. Yeah, that might just be Wes Anderson just doing random things as one-offs to try to get you to think that there's maybe a deeper meaning to things when it really isn't, um, which I, I, like I like about Wes Anderson movies. The only other thing I really wanted to mention was kind of what Sean was talking about is I just found it, like, visually, like, pleasing. Like, it was yes. just so well done with, like, you know, the use of puppets in a sense and, you know, this just very quick almost like wallace and gromit sort of i don't know if there's like an actual name for that like is it like the type of film it is is that a type of yeah, yeah i was gonna i was gonna say Boyle, like how, whatever animation style he did for this movie it was it was so beautifully done and you mentioned that at the top of the show sean and you kind of got into a little bit um but I mean, it's it's hard to describe because you just got to see it to kind of, and you got to see, you know, I of course say you should see every movie on the big screen because I feel like that's how movies should be seen, but just seeing that on the big screen and just how beautiful you could just see like the slight movements and the imperfections in the models that they were using and just I just you know take away the voice cast which was hysterical and the comedy, you know, it's almost a distraction from like how good this movie looked, Sean. Yeah, uh, man, like, so Fantastic Mr. Fox is a, a, a Wes Anderson movie from 2009, and it's in the same format, like stop motion, animated. Uh, but, like, it took what 
was so good visually about Fantastic Mr. Fox, and obviously the technology gets better, but he like heightened that to a level that I just like blew my mind. And you know, little things like when the dogs are on the trash planet, it's like the trash island. It's like okay, like I can I can see the stop motion. I can like feel the stop motion aspect about it. But like certain scenes, like the sumo wrestling or. Um, the when they go to like newscasts and they're like more manga animated you know more like anime type animated i thought that transition and just those little things were so smooth and so well done that like obviously visually it's like okay i'm seeing something completely different but it was so natural and like it eased my eyes in that i was like oh my god this is just such a cool way to go about showing this stuff yeah, because sometimes we'll Boyle and I and my family will see the animated shorts uh, that get nominated every year. And over the past few years, you you've seen that people take a lot more chances internationally with um, some of the animation styles that they make. Yeah, um, you know Wes Anderson, he's American, but it, you know it, it's this isn't you're not a, getting a Pixar CGI pristine. Uh, animation here it's a little bit rougher around the edges but it's not it doesn't go too far the other way like i've seen with some of the other animated shorts where i'm like all right man like i can't do i can't watch paper mache model for 90 minutes here totally this is is killing me yeah this was like you said very nice to look at uh easy transition Uh, just the lighting that they did with some of it and you know when they're showing the news footage of them and of people and it's like you said it 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 seems more hand-drawn um Spectacular, um, but we got to talk about this voice cast. Uh, Brian Cranston, so good. Yeah, so good. the only thing I wanted to mention about that, Nick, is that um, before you get right into the voices, is that I also thought that when they zoomed in on the dogs talking, it almost felt more like CGI rather than that that like claymation yep. animation sort of thing. And I and I liked that aspect of it. And those transitions were so smooth sometimes. And yeah, I mean, other times it was a little rough, but you know, in some of them, it was very cool to be like, whoa, like all of a sudden it just seemed, you know, very comedic and very natural, you know? And I think that if that, if those comedy things like Sean, we were talking, um, Nick and I, you know, before the podcast, we loved when they were like, oh, so did you hear the rumor? And like that to us was just comical, all the dog rumors that they kept talking about. (laughs) If those weren't in there... I really don't know how this movie would have done because I almost felt like it kind of reeled you back into like, okay, this is fun, you know, and I almost wonder if it would have lost you if it didn't have that in there. No, I totally agree. The com- the comedic aspects kind of even helped the visuals. And I think you're kind of talking about that, how like the visual cues of the dogs and, he, you know, it's like almost physical comedy that he doesn't have to write because the animation handles that aspect and i thought that was like the perfect combination of comedy and animation and like you mentioned like you mentioned when they zoomed in on the dogs i was like oh my god is that how is that look real is it cgi is it still that same figure it was hard to like digest yeah especially with like like the one that keeps ringing a bell to me is edward norton like sometimes when he would talk i'd be like okay that is like edward norton in a dog's body right now like it was so realistic and like like i don't know i just felt like it was really him talking and i thought that that was very well done yeah and jeff goldblum and and uh bill murray just you know every time you're just cracking up and um you know they did they uh, i mean but see i felt that they blended in with their characters though like like them 
it was hard sometimes for me to recognize, oh, that's them talking. And maybe just because Edward Norton is more of a distinct voice. Um, you know, even well, I don't know. Jeff Cranston, Goldblum has a like pretty distinct voice, Boyle. What? And he, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum has a pretty distinct voice. And like you said, they were kind of like playing themselves. Yeah, maybe um, just because Edward Norton was very like yelling in your face a lot. But like, I just felt that he was more noticeable as a character and like being like, oh, that's Edward Norton rather than who is this Bill Murray or is this Jeff Goldblum? Like for, I don't know, just when the dogs would talk. <laughs> I I think I'm with I think I'm getting what you're saying, boy. I think I'm with you because like, you're right. Like when Edward Norton was talking as that dog, I was like, is this dog Edward Norton? Where it when Goldblum and Bill Murray were talking, I was like, okay, this is just Goldblum as a dog. Like this is just Goldblum's voice as a dog. Where like Norton was like innately like one with the character because they're like, I got you. Yeah, they're like facial cues and figures and the you know the different pauses and stuff i was like oh my god this is this dog is edward norton where i was like okay like this is just a dog that happens to be bill murray's voice or this is just a dog that happens to be jeff goldblum's voice and i think norton and cranston like they kind of like meshed into the dog character and they were one you know well yeah exactly it's also um bill murray i feel like these days has very much become bill murray just being bill murray yeah yeah totally almost and he's kind of become a meme and i feel like this movie was oh wouldn't it be funny if bill murray would be a dog um but it didn't bother me at all but it's definitely something that i i would be remiss if i didn't hey just so you know did you hear that bill murray i don't know if you guys knew this he was actually pushing um for that when this movie's like i mean we we got to see it early because you know, it is kind of only still released in select theaters. It kind of gets a big release in a couple weeks at the end of April. Um, but did you know that he's pushing so that people can bring their dogs to the theaters? I mean, I don't think it's going to go through or oh, wow. like, really going to allow it. But his his biggest thing was, hey, wouldn't it be cool to, like, watch this film? Because he's a huge dog advocate. And he was like, wouldn't this be cool to, like, watch this um, watch this in the theater with your dog and, like, get special permission for that? Um, my buddy Jay was telling me about that, but I thought that, that was kind of interesting. I think it was too many safety hazards. They wouldn't be able to. You you can't risk, you know, not knowing whose dog it is and if it has the right shots, I mean, and all that stuff. But kind of a cool well, thing yeah. that Bill tried to advocate for that when doing this movie. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's awesome. That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I will say this, though. As someone who is who loves dogs but is allergic to dogs, that just sounds like a nightmare for me. Uh you know, and the best part about dogs is being able to see them. So I would actually just be only smelling them and sneezing and stuff. My allergy. Yeah. yeah, and not even seeing them. So that'd be that'd be a tough go. Can we talk about a uh, minor thing here? How appetizing that sushi looked, even though um, yes, you know, it kind of takes a different direction. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I think uh, that was consensus, like the most visually pleasing scene, like. I had never seen anything like that and it was such a short and didn't really carry any plot but like that scene stuck out to me the most. I was like, holy shit, like this guy's legit making sushi and it looks super real and lifelike and it's not. And it was just – it was really, shot from like those Instagram cooking. Yeah, too, and it was just of. fascinating to see. Like that, that was a, such a beautiful scene. And it was so fast. It really too, was. It like, was. Oh my it, god, what it is, is the one that sticks with me? <laughs> yes, you're kind of overwhelmed. Like oh oh, he's making sushi. Like it takes you a second, but now uh, Sean, have you ever seen Hero Dreams of Sushi? I did, and it's a great movie. 
and uh, and it, it makes me always one. hungry for sushi. Yes, it does. That was a tough ninety minute watch because I was uh, I was in the Circle Apartments at the time and I didn't have a car, Sean. So I was like, I I don't know how I'm going right, to sushi, right. nor I don't know if I want sushi <laughs> around from there. Ithaca. Yeah, hell no. Exa- yeah, exactly. So it was uh, it was a tough watch because I was like, this documentary is making me crave it. But um, yeah, no. It, so that was good. Um, I thought the story was awesome let, too. I thought the the jokes hit. Let, uh, what were you let me let me ask you this one question because I was just. I, I had this feeling while I was watching the movie the whole, the whole time. I wish they had given you a pamphlet that had the actors who played the voice characters so that during the movie I can follow along with the pamphlet because obviously they did it in the beginning, but I was so focused on that sumo scene and just the visuals to focus on like, oh, oh F, who's, who's F. Murray Abraham play? What's the actor he's play? Uh, Bill Murray. I, I forgot the name of his guy. If they gave it with each ticket a nice pamphlet that said like, like face like face of the dog or the character to the actor's name, I think it might have been a little bit more enjoyable for me because there are times where I was just like yes. in my own head like, who is talking? I need to know who's yeah, talking. Thank it's you. killing me. Thank you. That's an issue Boyle and I had. We were, we were That was constant conversation between Boyle and I being like, shoot, is that Francis McDormand or is that Scarlett Johansson? And Boyle, I was like, Boyle, Boyle you got to look it up. And I was right. I was like, dude, I knew it. And, and it was funny because their voices seemed a little similar. But, I mean, once Scarlett started talking more, you knew it was her. But I would 100% yeah. agree. It was like sometimes with movies when there's she was like the so many actors and actresses, you just get too overwhelmed and like – all right, I don't even know who's talking anymore. So and you want to know who's talking, which is frustrating about a big cast the, like this. But that's it what I meant you. with like the Jeff Goldblum and the Bill Murray thing was at one point I was like, I don't even know who's talking right now. Like, I, see, yeah, okay. I aggravated. I, I'm, I, well, now this is going to sound like a sick brag, but I, I want to say that I took pride in knowing what Jeff Goldblum and Bill Murray sound like in, independent of each other. I didn't need it. But for the the female cast, I definitely needed the guide. Yeah, totally. And like, you know, once I heard Greta Gerwig's character, I was like, okay, now I know, you know, now I get it. But like, I, I'm looking like, I'm looking at the IMDb page now and I'm like, Yoko Ono was a voice in this yeah, movie? Yeah, she was like, the assistant, the, the science, scientist's assistant. Yeah, like, did they tell me that? Like, I'm, I, obviously they did in the opening credits, but I was like, it's Yoko Ono. Like, maybe like put that out a little more visually so you can be like, oh, shit, like, that's her talking. That's kind of cool. Someone who's been you know famous what for, been like, really 50 smart years. To do, which usually they do at the end of movies a lot, is they should have done, like, the faces of the actor or actress yes. next to their character, but in the opening credits. Not the end, because then you're like, oh, that's who it was. Like, in the opener, that would have been beneficial, I think. Guys, I, I got to say, though, I think we're doing a little bit too much complaining because every poster I've ever seen for this movie has the name of the actor. And <laughs> you're right, what the, you're right, you're right. So it's basically like saying, like, <laughs> you know what? This test was unfair. And the professor being like, I literally told you everything that was on the test. But we, we had to have a con. I mean, overall, we're all talking about how how great this movie is. And yeah. I mean, we're trying to give some sort of negative to it, I guess, in some sense. But overall, you know, it was good. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I... I definitely though, Sean, you you may agree with this on that. Um, you know, we were having a discussion after the movie. It's the kind of movie you would suggest to your movie loving friends. And then maybe your friends that don't maybe like going to the movies as much. You go, ah, you know, you could probably wait to see this one. 
A hundred percent. Cause I think that's Wes Anderson in general, right? Like if you respect the, like the art of filmmaking and the art of like doing something different and creating a, you know, a totally different film from your previous film, like that's Wes Anderson every single time. But most people don't get that. Most people like want to see, you know, Den of Thieves in theaters or like, you know, want to see something action or funny. Like they're going to go see Blockers this weekend. Like they don't want to like have a movie that makes them think, think and makes them talk critically about something. Like I get that too, but I, I like both sides of it. I think balance is important in the life and like right. I'll take I'll take my clock blockers movie but I have to watch an art movie also to like fulfill that need, you know? Yes. And nine times out of 10, you like the movie that you end up going to see and you'll be like, wow, that surprisingly was fun. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I agree. Yeah. You put that well, Sean. It is true because the jokes in this movie aren't like, oh, John Cena is getting a, uh, you know, a beer funnel shoved up the wrong end. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's more of a verbal one or a repetitive joke over the course of a movie that, kind of pays off at the end if you don't catch what I'm picking up here with the Jeff Goldblum yeah. hey I've heard this rumor scene like you it works for its jokes and it's jokes that you know you have to think about like oh that's kind of like a funny quip you know and uh but you know you and I are, are cut from the same cloth we'll definitely find enjoyment from any kind of humorous things but we do we do crave that and boil is the uh boils the same way as well we're we're laughing at times although I don't know if, what kind of crowd you saw it with but the hipsters in our crowd were cracking up at the opening credit sequence when just the two dogs were on screen like yeah. it was it was deaf comedy jam night at the apollo like it was people were rolling was in the aisles uh, it was annoying because you couldn't sweating. it was crazy sorry nick but it was annoying only because they were you know how in the beginning they're actually giving narration like the the crowd the hippies uh, that's not right say the hipsters were like laughing over it and we're not just labeling i mean they literally were hipsters but like they were laughing over the narration and you couldn't even hear or understand what was going on. So it was getting like frustrating. Like, come on, like, all right, yes, definitely laugh at good parts, but at good parts, not when you're trying to understand what's going to happen in the movie and what's going on. Yeah, I kind of had the same experience. My The area I live in now in Los Angeles, Los Feliz, is very hipster. Uh, and the theater I went to was just full of hipsters. And yeah, like they laugh at scenes that they want to laugh at because they think it's going to make them look look or sound cooler is the vibe I always get in those right. theaters. It's like, oh, I, I, I get this joke and you guys don't because I'm this cultured and I'm so artsy. But like, yeah, I guess there was a lot of that in that movie. And at times it adds to the movie viewing experience. And like you, like you mentioned, other times it hurts it where you're like, I need to hear what this narrator is talking about. Like, don't laugh in this scene. You can laugh a little later. Yeah, because there, there definitely are some parts where they're laughing. It's like, hey, I think I, I missed some important exposition here, or, uh, yeah, that that happens. Um, well, I think that's pretty much gonna wrap up our Isle of Dogs discussion. I guess, I mean, long story short, we both really, all three of us, really like this movie quite a bit. Um, you know, these are the kind of movies that we look for in the spring too, like the movies that aren't gonna make a hundred million dollars, but are still gonna be. Uh, very entertaining. So, uh, uh, oh, ratings. So, Boyle wanted us to. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start off the ratings here. Actually, let's let our guest do it. Sean, what do you what do you give this on the Fisher scale out of ten kernels? Uh, out of ten kernels, uh, I think I'm gonna give this a ten. I think 
everything I liked about the movie outweighs everything I didn't like. And the, the things I didn't like, like we all three of us are talking, were just super nitpicky and like, you know, I wish I had a pamphlet for what I want. Or, you know, like I wish I had all the names yeah. on my hand. Like, I, obviously, no movie's going to do that. So I'm going to give it a 10. I, I really enjoyed it. And I would recommend it to all my friends, regardless if they like art movies or not. Right. I mean, in any conversation I'm going to have about movies over the next few days, and I've already started this a little bit, Isle of Dogs has, has definitely come up. Because, you know, some people who might have seen a trailer on TV are like, oh, is that the dog animated movie? Like, <laughs> you got to see that movie. I would give this one, I gave this one uh, a, a very strong 8 out of 10. I don't know why I didn't give it a 9 or a 10 out of 10. Sometimes I can't explain these things. I think it might just be the fact that, like, I'm trying to think, like, all right, in two years – Am I going to be um, – That's a good point. Know, go, going through and like, oh, man, like, man, I got to see that movie again or – you know what I mean? And I hate the fact that like it almost kind of puts you in a way of talking yourself out of enjoying a movie because don't get me wrong. I enjoyed everything about this movie. But I just, sometimes when I rate movies, I just think more long-term like down the line. Am I going to be you know, clamoring on this one like, oh, man, 2018, I love dogs. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, totally fair. Um, so that's why, but it, yeah, I I agree with your 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 ten rating because I mean, what's not to love about this movie? Uh, Boyle, what'd you give it? My turn. I'm pumped. Um, so basically, I'm just so excited because I get to come off mute and I'm like talking to myself because of the way we're recording tonight. So it's really sad. Uh, but in the long run, I gave this an eight point five out of ten. And to kind of go off with what you're saying, Nick. Um, it's one of those things where looking into the future, uh, you know, two, three years down the line, am I going to look back and say, you know what, I want to throw that on. Like I gave like, and, and I kind of rounded down to an eight and I think I almost would stay at an eight instead of an 8.5. I'm, I'm actually just changing it right now in the spot. I'm going to stick with an eight. You know, I gave like forgetting Sarah Marshall and I love you, man. And some of these old classics, like an 8.5 that. I'd throw on the TV and I'd laugh at and watch. And I think Isle of Dogs, I might see one or two other times just because, like, being like, oh, yeah, you know what? That was a good movie. But at the same point, I, you know, I'd rather throw on one of those witty comedies or a Will Ferrell movie or something, you know, before I see something like this again. And um, that's just, I mean, that's just personal preference. But it still is a great movie and you can't not give it what it's worth that, so that is why i gave it a boy i think that's a really fair assessment because it's like uh, uh we have a podcast on the ringer network called the rewatchables and it's all about like what are the most rewatchable movies and you know it's like if this if isle of dogs is on tnt will i sit down and watch it you know will i really be like oh man what a great movie i, I gotta sit down and watch it and like wes anderson movies are hard to rewatch because you can't really – you can jump in on the middle of it, but like you want to watch it from start to finish. But like if you know if Dark Knight comes on, like I'll watch it from any point of the movie and I won't change the channel, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how I felt. And it was like, yeah, I mean I would just skip right over it if it was on TNT or something or TBS or one of these other channels because you'd just be like, yeah, you know what? It already started. Even like 10 minutes in, you'd be like – yeah, it already started, but like even something like Will Ferrell's kicking and screaming, I'd, t I'd leave that on and I would laugh my buns off. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, you know, I would love to be on that podcast actually because like that to me is totally something I'm trying to incorporate in the show now too. Like those old classics we almost kind of like grew up with and uh -huh. I feel like 
we haven't really had a lot of those instant classics come to the movies. I, I can't tell you the last time I saw something, I was like, wow, five years. Actually, I'll tell you what it was. The House with Will Ferrell. I've watched that five times, just out of the blue, because it was on each. Oh my god! It was on HBO, and I just—I can't believe that just got admitted. You know, it's funny. I did watch the house on the airplane, and I was like, "Man, I'm gonna download this movie when I get back," because there are some funny parts I missed. Five times is a lot, though. I will say, not—not like—not like, like, hey, I'm gonna sit down and watch this. It was like, oh, I turned on HBO, and the house was on, and I had to do work, so I was like. Yeah, I'll leave this on. This is a funny movie. And it just, like, I'm not lying, has happened a handful of times within the past month because it's on and I'm doing work at home. And I'm not going to put something on. I'm going to, like, need to sit and watch, watch. But like you said, there's just a bunch of, like, funny clips in it that you're like, yeah, you know what? I was laughing a good amount of times for this. And you wouldn't think that. But I wouldn't sit there and keep Isle of Dogs on. I wouldn't do it. So, um... I mean, I I agree with I agree with everything you said, Boyle. Um, I just think it's so funny that uh, the lesson learned on this podcast is uh, Ready Player One, Isle of Dogs, good. The House, that's great. The movie. Yeah, uh, great movie. Well, uh, Sean, before we wrap this up, you said you watched it first on a plane and then went back and watched it. I think that's interesting. The first time I ever saw The House, I was going in with like literally bo- basement level expectations because he hasn't been doing Will Ferrell hasn't really been doing it for me lately pleasantly surprised because i had garbage expectations i thought it was hysterical second time i saw it was actually on a plane plane ride and i was like did i only really like this movie just because i wasn't expecting much of it and also on a plane it was censored with a lot of yeah, the it was, too. It was. that's why i want to watch it again i was like i need to watch this full like in full and as raunchy right. as possible um, i love yeah, that you guys are both breaking it down see it's gonna click on i'm telling you <laughs> I tell you. Uh, I, I will say you guys are talking uh, – Boyle was mentioning like I can't remember the movie in the last few months that was rewatchable. I I always tell, tell this when everyone's like, oh, what's your what's been your favorite movie of the last few years? Like I've seen Lady Bird like five or six times already uh, and like every single time I, I truly like enjoy it, like, like really, really enjoy it and I don't get bored of it. That I don't know why I like that movie so much. Like I'm – you know, I'm not a – a female who's dealing with high school issues and I didn't do that, you know, growing up. And I, it, it, it's just fascinating why I resonate with that movie, but I, I can watch that movie forever. Yeah. That's a rewatchable movie because I think another trait of rewatchable movies and uh, you know, this has been discussed is it doesn't, they're not the most heavy movies nope. in the world. Yeah. They gotta, they gotta have some brevity to it, and Lady Bird is perfect for that. Where the serious move, the serious moments in that movie, when they hit, they, they hit you, but they only hit you because it's surrounded by, uh, some really nice and light moments. It's like, um, you know, basically it's a bunch of uh, wine spritzers, and then in the middle there's a Guinness in there somewhere. <laughs> Good way to put it. Um, you know, like yeah, it, it, it'll sneak up on you. Um, but Lady Bird, Dan, oh, that's a great call. That, that's a good topic, Sean. Honestly, for you know, Boyle and I will probably have to think about that moving forward. But uh, we're 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 wrapping up here on an hour. I really like where we ended there because, um, gosh, yeah, Lady Bird is such a great movie. Um, so, Sean, before we go, uh, have anything to promote? I mean, you're one of our, our few guests that actually has something to actually promote because usually it's our buddies or my family. Uh, uh, what do you got? Uh, Please go on the ringer.com if possible. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you don't have to follow me on Twitter if you don't want to. Uh, at Real Shawnee West. Uh, 
Yeah, plugging plugging stuff is weird because I'm not even like in a point to plug. But uh, yeah, if you like funny sports pop culture videos, I, I do YouTube videos for The Ringer. And if you can check them out, that's great. If you don't want to, that's also fine. Um, I am very curious uh, to hear you guys talk about uh, A Quiet Place. So I'll be on the lookout for if you guys do that as a pod because it's been getting rave reviews and I personally am terrified of horror movies. Like it took me a lot of balls to see Get Out and I loved Get Out, but like I, you know, I've seen it twice and each time I was like truly terrified and uh, A Quiet Place, the new John Krasinski directed and written movie starring with his, with his wife, Emily Blunt has got like a 97% on Rotten Tomato and is getting like the best reviews for a horror movie since Get Out. And so Buzz, very, Buzz very curious days, to hear yeah. what you guys uh, say on that. So I'm looking out for your own pod. I'm going to plug your own pod for when for when you guys do that. Wow. That's in the first time of history of podcasts is a feature plug for a <laughs> podcast on its own podcast that hasn't happened yet. I love it. Um, I already pre-gave A Quiet Place a 9 out of 10. So uh, that's, that's wow. a pre-review for you. A preview. A preview, I guess, actually, is, what <laughs> is probably the word I'm looking for. Um, but, but, but between A Quiet Place and Hereditary, I think it's going to be uh, a big spring and summer for horror movies. Hereditary is probably one of my most I'm looking forward to this summer movies. Sean, I would rec- I, I would say Google it yes, after this, but I almost don't want you to see the trailer because if you're afraid of horror movies um, – it might not even the trailer might not even be for you because it wasn't until The Conjuring came out that I even saw horror movies in theaters because they terrified me and I just ever since we got Movie Pass I've had to just power through and you know just get used to them a little bit but they're still tough. Yeah, I don't know if I could do uh, I don't know if I could do that, but a Quiet Place uh, just for me it's like a little easier on my on my soul because it's it's Jim from The Office. Jim, exactly. Well, hopefully you don't get sucked into that thinking it's oh it's not going to be so bad and then just get immediately just kicked yeah, out. Yeah, I have to say I've been looking forward to The Quiet Place since like I want to say I think it was the end of the summer I saw the first trailer for it and it was just that original one that you've seen. Like they have not given anything away to the movie. Nope. Um, And I love it. I love that. It's been all teasers. And the fact that it's getting like 99% or 97%, I forgot what it was, but um, I, I'm, you know, like you said, you know, from The Office, but also him as an actor um, and a director himself, it's just, it's going to be mind-blowing. And I, I personally, it's the weirdest thing. I, I hate getting scared, but I love it. I Like, I love going to the movies to see a good horror movie. So I've been really looking forward to this. Um, I'm just terrified for my dreams afterwards. <laughs> I'm with you guys. Yeah. I, so I quickly researched Boyle. Uh, it was November 2017 when the trailer dropped. So we've had – Oh, so it was a uh, little later than I thought. Five, six months. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for this movie. Um, well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, Boyle, um, Boyle and I were very happy to have you on. And uh, and thanks again. And good luck with everything at The Ringer. I, You know – uh, I'm, I'm geeking out having you on, even though we went to college together. I still feel like I'm talking to a uh, uh, a celeb because of all the buzz you've been getting online lately, and uh, which you know I, I you know I didn't expect you to talk about it, but on my end, it's just been so cool to just see you be getting shout outs from Bill Simmons to Jason Concepcion to Molly, uh, I mean Mallory Ruman, and you know seeing like these ringer icons, and then there's Sean Yu in the mix with all of them. Uh, for me, at least, it's been just so 
cool to see and it, it makes me so happy to see you doing so well and uh seeing you do some great stuff on the ringers youtube channel and video stuff so it's awesome man Nick, you're making me blush. Uh, I just want to say to the listeners out there, uh, I'm in a very fortunate situation, and I think uh, it, that only comes from doing what you what you enjoy. And if you pursue that, anyone can do a similar thing at the same level. And I just say, hey, thanks for having me on. I've listened to a few of your pods. I, I love the ones where, especially, you guys talk to the family because I think that is unique, and I think you should hone in on that more. Friends and family is always brings out better conversation, but. Uh, many successes to you and your pod. I assume my clout will help uh, you guys get some extra viewers in the in the few weeks coming. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so thank excited you, Sean. for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Sean. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next time.